Welcome back to another episode of the Half Court Press Podcast. Hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Mine was good. <laughs> Chris? Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. It, yeah. yeah, it was uh, my brother and sister-in-law. Um, my sister-in-law had their first baby. So we drove in to Iowa and out of Iowa. In the same, and they like came home that day. Mm. So we like were there, said hi, had some had a smaller Thanksgiving lunch, right. and then we got out of there so nice. that they could have theirs. But well, so it was good. It's a it's a fun week always for from me as a basketball fan. Although like there's other responsibilities. Like I would love to just sit in front of a TV from oh, yeah. Monday to Friday and just watch all these tournaments that mm-hmm. um are, there's wild results, upsets, crazy things. But I can't one because it's a football state, and every when I'm with right. family, they all just want to watch like the Cowboys play yeah. or whatever, and so. Um, I feel bad about changing the channel to see what's going on with Michigan, North Carolina. But you know, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I'm I the have same that, way. Fight that battle, and then you're also like with family. Like, do I need to sit in front of a TV right. all the time? But. It's also like, um, you know, those weeks in high school or in college when you had just like four exams and a paper, and it was just like hell week. You know, that's kind of what it feels like as a reporter in this state on Thanksgiving week because you're like, okay, I have to figure out how I'm going to do Thanksgiving and also cover the football team. And oh my gosh, there's three games for basketball. (laughs) And uh, so it was one of those things where like on Sunday, I had to like, okay, let's see what happened in the basketball world while I was drowning. Recap. Yeah. Um, Um, But yeah, well, hopefully everyone had a good holiday. And and yeah, thanks. And it's Creighton and Nebraska week. I was going to say, all of a sudden, here it is. Nebraska and Creighton are playing each other on Saturday. Didn't we, it feel like it snuck up? To me, it did. Yeah. I sure. didn't realize it till last Friday or last Saturday. I was like, oh my gosh, I'll be a week from now. Right. And that's just the way the season goes sometimes. So we are going to record. We're recording one today, a mm-hmm. podcast today on Monday. And this is kind of, I think, more of a summary sort of look back, uh, kind of peek ahead a little bit podcast, whereas we'll record again later this week, I think on Thursday which will be a full-on Creighton-Nebraska preview mm-hmm. where we just uh, dive into the matchups and, and all the different storylines that are um, going on with those two teams. So we'll get to Nebraska in a moment, 2-1 and one in the Cayman Islands. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I would imagine that that qualifies as a success for mm-hmm. the Huskers. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first, we'll start with Creighton. The Jays uh, were completely obliterated <laughs> in a game against San Diego State to open the Las Vegas Challenge, but then 24 hours later... Creighton recovers and upsets Texas Tech uh, in overtime, 83-76. to 76. Sort of a wild back-to-back, Yeah, you know, I guess 85 minutes of hoops for mm-hmm. the Jays. And uh, I, to me, I, I mean, I guess encouraging. I don't really know. <laughs> I was going like, to say, it's what? It's hard to pull an assessment let's, out of that. Let's start with San Diego State. Like, so there was, the, there was a big run at the end of the first half, right? 18 to nothing. So what happened? San Diego State. Because um, I imagine well, it was pretty close, by, and then at a certain point, something mm-hmm. broke. Yeah, so I think the two concerning things out of that matchup, which we'll be looking at as the uh, the season rolls along for the Jays, were, number one, San Diego State had a 6-10-4, who didn't necessarily stretch the floor, but his ability to see the floor, to uh, pass out of double teams, to hurt Creighton when he wasn't doubled or, or when he had an advantage situation, uh, Yanni Wetzel is his name. You know, he he changed the game, I thought, for, for San Diego State on offense because the Jays were constantly in recovery, it seemed. And it opened things up for a guy like Matt Mitchell. I think his name is Matt Mitchell. Mitchell was um, who torched Creighton, it seemed, for much of the game. And I think gave uh, Malachi Flynn for San Diego State some opportunities, too. So I thought that mismatch at the four 
proved problematic for the Jays, and that probably will be an issue for the rest of the season. Now, Denzel Mahoney's six-five thicker guard with a longer wingspan than Mitch Ballack, so he will help the Jays there. But I do think that if when the Jays face um, a similar mismatch, now I don't know how many players are going to see like Wetzel, but just that idea of having to. Um, contort its defense to deal with a guy that size mm-hmm. that was an issue and the other thing was san diego state's physicality like coach mcdermott mentioned after the game and i think after the game on friday too was just the jays in terms of setting screens running through running cuts just running their offense they were they were knocked off balance too often or they weren't assertive enough and just ready for that um, you know, the disruption that San Diego State was going to cause, like the Aztecs were fighting over the top of uh, of screens at times. They were, you know, they'd swipe down on those dribble handoffs that you you see like a big hands off to a, a, a guard at the top of the key or something like that. And the guard would come off and, and try to swipe down and disrupt that handoff to make sure it's not clean. Um, just the way that they were use their body to not Creighton's guards off mm-hmm. their track when they're running around cuts. I think that just that, that physicality and San Diego State had enough of rim protection to take some chances on the perimeter, extend its guards out, and really take away what the Jays wanted to do, which was shoot threes. And, and on, on top of that, by the way, Tyson Alexander and Marcus Segarowski were 6 of 27, and wow, they yeah. missed good shots mm-hmm. too in that. Um, so when the Jays needed a big shot to kind of change the game or keep the momentum from going completely to San Diego State they kind of get it yeah and and that was one thing when I when I looked up okay because I saw the score and I was like okay wow that seems a little a little much and then you know you pull up Kim Palm and you know they're they're San Diego State's you know, 19th in effective field goal percentage and 18th in three-point field goal uh defense and and my first thought was like okay that makes sense like that's the team that would that would disrupt Creighton to a point where, like, I, and again, I didn't watch it. Was there a point where Creighton was trying to get ten points on one shot, like trying, you know what I mean, like trying to force threes and, and trying to actually a get little it? Bit. Or, or was it, or was it just one of those things where they were just they, they just went cold and yeah, the other team got yeah, and items. they really couldn't get great looks yeah. for most of the game. And and I think a lot of it, you credit San Diego State for it's the way it plays defense, but then also I think the Jays just weren't as they kind of just allowed it. They were just like, all right. Mm-hmm. This house gonna go, you know, and and they, and they weren't sort of forcing the issue. Now they were, that was what um, Coach McDermott and the players talked about after Texas Tech was that they they were more sort of kind of I don't know. You just put your head down, sort of uh, kind of like flex your muscles and mm-hmm. say like we're not. We know you're gonna get up in this and make try to make it um, uh, uncomfortable. We're not backing down, and we're gonna try to run our stuff no matter what. And I think that they they were better at that. And, and as a result, against Texas Tech, now they did shoot the lights out to start the game. But as the game wore on, especially late in the second half, they got more uh, two-point shots and more chances at the rim, mm-hmm. I think, because they were able to um, – well, partly because Texas Tech was stretched out, but also because they were just more aggressive. I mean, Marcus Zagorowski was the case in point of that because he scored 32 points against Tech, and you know I think he only got th- – nine of those from the three point the three point line you know he he or maybe it was six i can't remember if he hit two or three threes but he was super aggressive going downhill um you know he got to instead of settling for a jumper at like 15 to 17 he got to like 10 to 12 mm-hmm. and either 
hit a floater or, or a fadeaway J or got all the way to the rim. So I think that just the mentality ch- change was yeah. what was noticeable about the Jays. Like they got punched, and then they, then the next day they actually punched back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I think because they did get because Sessions Tech did punch them, right? Because we, that's how they play. I was gonna say that's the the interesting thing that of saying you know that they didn't deal with San Diego State's physicality very well is I think Chris Beard is one of the top eight coaches in college basketball, and because he gets his guys to play like that on the defensive end, and so I imagined that they were going to play that way. So they did this, so yeah. Creighton just handled it better, or they actually so. punched yeah. it? Yeah, I think they just handled it a lot better. And then, you know, I don't know whether it was fatigue or just uh, momentum that totally, that Texas Tech rode in the second half. The Jays had were suddenly in a dogfight after <laughs> yeah. leading by as many as 19 in the first half. Uh, they they obviously had to find a way to win, and they did with some hustle plays and and some big time plays in overtime. So you credit them for that. But I think uh, the question about this team kind of going forward after watching them in Vegas is is about you know their offense in terms of running it with uh, um, with the amount of efficiency that they want to against teams that are really physical and long and kind of pride themselves on being really tough defensively. Mm-hmm. How did the Jays? Can the Jays still attack the way they want to? And they didn't get. I didn't feel like Creighton got a lot of tra- in transition, so a lot of it was in the half court. And uh, you know they obviously have to find ways to be a little bit more efficient because defensively, there's a, there's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> they got a lot of room, a lot of room to grow, a lot of work to do. Um, again, Denzel Mahoney not being part of the Excuse the me. rotation is one factor. Davion Mintz is one of their better perimeter defenders. Adding him back when he gets healthy from a, a high ankle sprain will help. But I, I do think their issues may be a little bit more. Uh, they're a little bit more than just the addition of two players, right? So um, they've, there are fundamental things on defense you have to do. They've they've they plummeted down the efficiency ranks in terms of their uh, defense. Uh, according to Ken, Ken Palmer's statistics since the start of the season. And a lot of that has happened in the second half uh, of games. Like Texas Tech came out and just started, felt like did whatever it wanted to against the Jays mm-hmm. um, in the second half. So that will be something to watch um, over the course of the next And they get Oral Roberts tomorrow? Oral Roberts is, uh, is up next. And uh, we'll see. I don't know how much of a, contest it's hard to say it's a game that will go up and down most likely because of the way oral roberts plays i mean it's like top 25 in adjusted tempo so far this year and it it'll attack and transition when it can and and push tempo when it can and it doesn't necessarily have the same makeup of a san diego state and texas tech so some of the things that showed up in those games in vegas for the jays i don't know if if or Roberts or Nebraska certainly will test the Jays in that way. So we won't know. Nebraska won't, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. We won't know how much they've improved in that area probably until they play Oklahoma at home and in those areas. The yeah. things that, that, that stood out in those games against in Texas Tech and, and San Diego State, like we won't know. Um, You'll learn a lot Oklahoma. from December 17th to December 22nd. That's Oklahoma and Arizona State. Yeah. Because I, mean, I think Arizona State plays pretty hard too. Right. You know? It's, you know, it. Creighton um, – there's there's obviously a lot of questions about what this team can be and and how long can Marcus Segarowski, Tyshawn Alexander, and Mitch Ballack sort of like drive the bus for this yeah. team the way that they have. But when you look across the Big East, I mean, you know, again, we we'll find out what kind of impact Davion Mintz can make once he's healthy and what 
role Denzel Mahoney has uh, as a transfer becomes eligible within the semester. I, I think talking to the players and the coaches, they think it can be rather significant, those two guys, just adding them in and taking some of the workload off their top three guards and um, being able to to more effectively establish their pace with added numbers and two of their better athletes on the whole roster. You add mm-hmm. those guys in, um, they're encouraged by that possibility. But I, cause I think Greg McDermott, man, I can't remember what game it was. It might've been like the second or third game. He, he, uh, he referenced sort of like, I think he was, jo- he, he did it with a smile on his face. So it was kind of like half joking, but you know, those like advent calendars that you like mm-hmm. peel off the days yeah. of, of, of counting down till Christmas or whatever it is. That's what he was like. I'm peeling off the, the, the days of the calendar <laughs> to where we get, uh, Davion Mintz and Denzel Mahoney. Yeah. 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 But, Anyway, so I guess my point was that I don't know. The Big East still feels completely wide open. Yeah. Um, at this point, I, no one in the league has really. Um, and, you know, it's, it's through no, we're through November, but no one in the league to to, from my perspective, has really grabbed hold of it and said like we are the we are the team to beat. Now, Seton Hall has played well in against good competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, Villanova. Has, you see the athletes all over the floor, and you think, well, that team, especially by January and February, is going to be really tough to beat. Butler started well, uh, but I don't know if it has a signature win yet. What about DePaul? DePaul, again. What's th- up with that? Well, I was going to say DePaul, yeah. Xavier, Butler, they've all started well, but I don't know if they've gained, they picked up a signature win. Yeah. Um, they've been Iowa and they've been Minnesota, but I also don't know how good either of those teams exactly. are. Now, they played Texas Tech. Uh, on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Now that's I think where you learn who if DePaul's for real or if they're not. Yes, that would be uh, that would be their signature win. Yeah, moment. Yeah. Um, I think Butler might have beat Stanford in Kansas City, but it's hard to know mm-hmm. like by one what what that is. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I, I agree. I don't know. Yeah, what I mean, Stanford. I think it was undefeated at the time. So like you've seen, but I guess my point is that the, the league feels completely wide open. So if the Jays can address some of these issues quickly show some improvement, but then also kind of get a boost with, with the addition of two guys. Uh, they actually have a chance to obviously compete at the top of the league. So sure. we'll see what they can do. Um, to Nebraska. Yes. The Huskers. Two and one. Two and one in, in Cayman Islands beat Washington State, fell to George Mason, mm-hmm. correct? And mm-hmm. then rebounded with a win over South Florida. Yeah, it was a it was a interesting three games. Um in general, so this is what I so I basically looked at I made the spreadsheet because that's what I do um, of how they played in the first in those three games in the Caymans compared to their average for the whole season. Now they shot forty eight percent in the Caymans. They made uh, eight point three threes in the Caymans. They shot forty percent from three, and that was kind of the difference. Uh, they on, on average they shoot thirty four percent from three, um, so shooting forty percent, shooting six percent higher from three, like that's gonna. That's going to win you some games. They, they, I mean, they made 10 threes against George Mason and lost. Mm. Um, now they made nine against Washington State and won. Um, so it was kind of one of those things where you have to hit the threes at the right point. I think the most encouraging part was, you know, George, with George Mason, they just looked like a different team than the night before. Um, they looked a little sluggish. Um, you know, they, they got out-rebounded by a million. Um but I think the encouraging part was coming back against South Florida and kind of they didn't necessarily dominate the game, but they were definitely in control. And they definitely there wasn't really a point where you felt like Nebraska was gonna lose hold of the game. 
Um, and I and I felt like Fred was really pleased with that aspect of losing and then immediately returning because what he said on Tuesday night after the loss to George Mason was, you know, hey, we we learned what we we're gonna how we're gonna react to a win. Now we're gonna learn how we're gonna react to a loss, and they reacted really well. And I think that's one thing that. You know, we've ta- we talked a lot about this last year about Nebraska dealing with adversity and dealing with difficult issues under Tim Miles, and they didn't deal with things hard. They didn't deal with hard things very well. And Fred has talked a lot about that with this team. But I think the fact that they lost their opening two games to UC Riverside and Southern Utah, and then went and then won three straight, and then got their butt kicked by George Mason, and then responded with a win. That to me says that. Sure, they might have problems in game because they kind of get in a funk of kind of flipping the switch, but that's good coaching. The fact that you can you can lose like that with a team like that and then respond, you know what I mean? So I think that that was really encouraging. Uh, the you know winning that final going, I I had them going one and two in this tournament. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that they can steal a win um, almost in a way makes up for one of the earlier losses. If you're, if you're one of those people that's really interested in finishing 500 or you're trying to finish, you know what I mean? Like you kind of steal one. Yeah. But watching them in the Cayman, I'm just, I still don't know how they lost the first two games. Oh, I have no, 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 like, I think, I think it doesn't sure. It makes sense to think like, okay, there was going to be sort of a warm up for Mm -hmm. this, for this team because it's new, uh, this whole new roster and some guys who are jumping up a level. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I guess I, maybe I just underestimated the difficulty of putting together a roster, um, essentially from scratch. That yeah. was their decision to kind of grab guys from all over and say, Hey, we're going to start it from ground zero. Uh, I thought that maybe some of the issues might have been fixed. Those types of sort of like learning how to play together. That's what Italy was for. But sure. I think was, a lot of it, it though so was, long ago, I, guess. I think, I don't, I th- well, I think a lot of it though was like, Game one and game two, especially game one, I think it was like, hey, guys, this is what Division One basketball is. Like, you you guys might think that you've got this nice Nebraska jersey on, you're playing in this big arena, but, like, every team's going to come out and try and beat you. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't a drill. <laughs> Excuse me. I was, like, not sneezing for, like, the last week, and then we all got, of a sudden. Yeah, we got, like, um, some dust but I think, here. But I think what happened was they they showed up that, that first game, and they were like, oh, we'll win. Like, you know, we've got this great coach and like everything's fine. And then they got their butt kicked. And then I think, and now it's almost like the start of the season restarted once they got that first win. You know what I mean? Because since then, I mean, they're four and one. You know what I mean? So now they get Georgia Tech. Um, they're, you know, Georgia Tech's pretty good. Um, you know, they're, they're projected to lose by 10. Georgia Tech's three and two. They beat NC State to open the season. Uh, and then their other two wins are against Elon and Bethune-Cookman. Um so they lost to Arkansas in overtime, which is actually a pretty good loss, um, and lost to Georgia. They're one of the best um, effective field goal percentage teams in the country. Um, so I think that this is going to be a pretty tough game for Nebraska. But the the one thing that I wanted to also point out, you know, we're going to talk about rebounding for years, <laughs> with I guess not years, for months with this team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, pro- I'm going to try and explore it later this week. Um, but they, on average, get out-rebounded. 42 to 29 and in the Caymans they got re- they out they were out rebounded on average in the three games 48 to 34 so like they get their butt kicked. so but that's the thing they get their butt kicked on the boards but they still went two and one right so they're doing things well enough 
when they do get a rebound and they are able to get out in transition and when they are able to run half-court offense, that if they were able to somehow find a way to get a couple more boards a game, you know, right now, average score, it's 75.7 Nebraska, 75.3 opponents. You know, one or two rebounds, it's, which is one or two more possessions, I mean, that can bump up. I mean, that's a, that's a difference between two or three more wins. You know what I mean? Mm. So that's kind of where they're at now. Um, this is such a fascinating, interesting team to cover. Um, as I told John right before we started, and we'll talk about the Big Ten later, they are the fastest offense in the Big Ten and the least efficient offense in the Big Ten. According to Kim Palm. According to Kim Palm, yeah. They, um, their average length of possession is about 15 seconds. Um, they don't turn the ball over. Um, they, they have a really good assisted turnover ratio. Like They use their bench well. Everyone is somewhat efficient, um, but they just can't rebound. Yeah. And they can kind of defend, but they're in terms of getting offensive rebounds, they're 342nd in terms of uh, in terms of making sure other teams don't get offensive rebounds, the 349th, and there's like 353 college basketball teams. Right. I, I, we did, I, I bet if you dug into the numbers there, they might be the worst rebounding team that's in the what, country. That's what I'm trying to like, If I'm you really look looked at, at yeah. okay, who, what team, I mean, they're one of the worst teams in terms of getting defensive rebounds and then also getting offensive rebounds. So the only way to offset that is to be extraordinarily efficient on offense with your yep. possessions not turning over, like you said. They probably still can stand to shoot better or get ease, get better shots, yep. more high percentage looks. But they are scoring a lot in transition. They get they take a lot of shots in transition, um, so that's one way to do it. And then also defensively, you know, maybe you can force a few more turnovers. Um, but that's the thing. That's like, the thing that's, is not only are it, they can they not rebound. That's also possessions yeah like i i'm curious of how many how few possessions nebraska's actually had and how maybe impressive it is that they've won the games they have because of how fewer like they have to maybe they're not efficient but they're efficient enough that they're able to win games despite having i mean imagine and this is a little bit different but imagine if you're a football team and you get five less possessions than the other team right that means that if you win 21 to 17, that's so much more impressive because you probably turned the ball over five times. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for basketball, it's basically the same way where you're not, you know, turning the ball over in terms of a steal or throwing it out of bounds or whatever, but you just can't get a rebound and they get another chance. Yeah. And so it's, it's so fascinating and interesting and it's not fixable like right now it's not fixable. And I'm curious, we get to talk to Fred Hoiberg tomorrow and I'm curious what he thinks you can kind of do with it because again, it's not you don't want to fundamentally change what you do because you've got Delano Banton, Derek Walker, and Shamil Stevenson on the bench. Those three guys might go one, two, three in terms of rebounding next year. Like Shamil Stevenson again told me before the season, he's the best rebounder on the team. Um, so that's the thing where it's like you you can't really fundamentally change who you are because that they're going to come in and they're going to fix that issue next year. Um, so it's just super interesting. Um, and they're going to go play Georgia Tech. And, I, and I'm also curious about that game because in some ways, Nebraska's played better away from Lincoln. You know, they went undefeated yeah. in Italy. They went 2-1 in the Caymans. Um, I think this, this is their first true, like, road trip. Um, and I'm kind of curious what the setup is and what Fred does on road. You know, they, they, they went through um, pregame warm-ups or pregame, like, you know, strategy in the parking lot of the Cayman Islands Hotel that they were staying at. And so just kind of small things like that, like what what's the process look like under Fred? Um, but this is a 4-3 and three basketball team 
but they're so so damn interesting because they they have all these layers to it. It's 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 fascinating. This game against Georgia Tech is part of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. It is. Uh, all the Big Ten teams are in action, and it's kind of a it's always a prove it week prove it week for the league. Um, a chance to sort of affirm what has happened to this point. Uh, the ACC gets so much love nationally, and rightfully so. There's a lot of big-time programs there. But if the, if the Big Ten um, can make a statement against the ACC, it suddenly kind of justifies or validates uh, the league's standing. And I get, too, that the selection committee claims that, hey, we're not going to look at your league as a whole when we assess your resume. Sure they're not. But <laughs> they are going to look at each individual team within the league. So mm-hmm. if you're a Big Ten team, you obviously want – the other Big Ten teams to do well because then it gives you more opportunities to get quality wins in conference play. Yep. So if Indiana, Purdue, Wisconsin, and Ohio State are all performing poorly in non-conference, then suddenly these teams who you thought would be pretty good in conference, you don't get as big of a bump if you are able to beat them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be it'll be important. We I, I I'm not quite sure. How do you assess the start of the league? or side of the season for the Big Ten as a whole, because I feel like the top has been really impressive. Yeah. Michigan State, Ohio State, Maryland, Michigan. Um, the bottom, not as much. Even the middle, maybe not as much, because um, teams like Wisconsin and Purdue haven't performed great. Yeah. Um, Michigan State has... Indiana wor- hasn't played anybody. Mich- Michigan State has worried me more than I would want to be worried. Like, I think that they're getting tested early, which I think is good. And they have some guys out, which is... Which well, is but they're yeah. just not. They've not been as like we're the number one, number one team in the country. We're gonna do. You know what I mean? Like well, so we thought Michigan State top conference, top of the conference, and then gap. Yes. Right. And, is yes. that what you thought? And I, going and, I don't, and I don't think that that's no, that's true anymore. Neither. I think Ohio State's the, the real thing. I think Maryland is the real thing. I need to probably write a formal letter to Juwan Howard and apologize for doubting that he was going to work because they're seven and zero. Dude, he's they're oh, good. Okay. I, I, I've been incredibly impressed with his coaching acumen, him and his staff's coaching acumen through the first month of the season. Yeah. Like the adjustments that they've made in games. And because I've watched a lot of them, I've been curious. I was curious as soon as Creighton played them, I'm like, okay, you know, they looked extremely good, good yeah. in the second half against the Jays. And I was like, how much of that is an anomaly? They've, they've proven that a lot of it is not. He they- is benefiting, though, from having. A force inside in John Teske. That dude is a monster he's defensively. A, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I haven't, I've watched a decent amount of college basketball at this point. I think he's the best defensive center in the game. And then you have Xavier Simpson, who is one of the best point guards in terms of operating around ball screens and setting things up for his teammates. So he has, uh, he, he has, Coach Howard has brought, he's gotten those two guys who have bought in. Who are seniors. Who and are got seniors. three years yeah. under John Beeline. And just as a whole, that team has this like winning personality because mm-hmm. of you know what the, the success they've had so i think he entered into a great situation but he has proven that yeah he's he's a good coach just because so. you enter into it and that's the thing too is like you can inherit a lot of nice tools but you can also kind of screw it up yeah. in some ways so like and the other not thing- to dunk on mike riley but they still went five and seven with a lot of Bose guys and then the next year they went nine and four like kind of kind of proving you can win with other people's, but so you can mess it up in some ways. But I think even it doesn't matter who you are. You beat Iowa State, North Carolina, Gonzaga, back to back to back. 
I mean, if, if John Beeline would have done they, it, we'd been like, look hey, at the you know, big scores too. Today. They like handled all those games. I mean, yeah. they were in control they won by, they, for they, most of those games. 8364 Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They like they, they were in control all those so games. And like one of them, I think Xavier Simpson was out for because he fouled out. Um, like yeah, it's it's impressive. Now the question for Michigan is how much better can it get because it, they are yeah. so veteran yeah. that it's like. They might be at their peak already. They might. And you're so right. They might just have to like kind of grind their way through the rest of the season. They're going to hit a lull at some point. That that's part of it too. Maybe they're catching some of these teams that maybe are still uh, kind of figuring things out and fitting things together. Meanwhile, they are kind of already know. Who yeah, they Michigan are. knows who yeah. it is, even yeah. though it has a new coach and and it's sure. running a new system. Yeah. But they, that that veteran piece has has benefited Michigan. But players. them juxtaposed with like Maryland, who is basically, you know. Not all youth, but a lot of youth. Yes. And they're kind of one of those wild card teams where they could come out and beat you by 30, or they could... I mean, they're Kentucky in a lot of ways, yep. where they can beat you by 30, or they can come out and lose by you know 20 or whatever. Also, we've had a Kentucky loss at home, a Duke loss at home. Is that it? We didn't, did we get I one? I think those are the two major ones. Um, so, so... So, that your I guess your point is what? That anybody... Duke and Kentucky have lost it. Not bad teams. Well, yeah, bad teams. Yeah, bad teams. Bad teams. <laughs> yeah. Evansville and, and Stephen F. Austin at home, but yet Maryland's 8 0. So is there something to right, be said for right, that? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And so there, there, there's that point. And there's also, like, I'm trying to think of it in terms of, like, if Maryland and Michigan played, I could see Maryland winning by 20. I could see Michigan winning by 20. The unpredictability you know I mean? of yeah, the sport, just yeah. the total. And so I think that those are kind of the two favorites right now with, with knowing that Michigan State's technically, you know, I think they're still in the top five uh, in the AP poll, aren't they? They the new poll came there. out today. I didn't see what, I didn't either. what where they um, landed, but so so you've got all that, and then you also you know Penn State beat Syracuse by like twenty, so Penn State's looking good early. No, I think Syracuse might be very bad. Though. I think I think they might be as well, but still Pat Chambers. There's yeah. Pat Chambers is six and one. That's you right. can't take yeah, that yeah, away. Yeah, from yeah, they yeah. only I don't know how they went to Georgetown and won. I think Penn yeah, State did. Yeah, they're good. Right? Penn State's good, and then you kind of have this, you know, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin. Min, uh, Rutgers is six and one. There, there is usually kind of this pack in the Big Ten because it's so big. Of like, are they good? Are they not? And we'll kind of see. And then you've got uh, Minnesota, who I don't think is good. Northwestern, who we know is not good, and Nebraska, who I think is kind of in between. We know that they're not good, and the and kind of the pack. You know, well, I think so. We'll I, see. And we know they're not good right now, but maybe there's a chance they're fighting for like twelve. Yeah, they're fighting yeah, yeah, yeah. to finish twelve. I mean. To start the year the way they did, zero and two against those very bad teams. Yeah, that kind of says, oh, they're not good. But the the they obviously feel. If you watch them in the Caymans, you felt, hey, they're they're a different team than they were a month ago. They so are. How much better can they get? Yeah. between now and February. Yeah, I, I I mean you don't want to pump a bunch of hope because again this is not a great basketball team, but they're not as bad as they were day one. Yeah, and that's what that's what Fred Herbert wants to say. Right. Um, so I think we talked a lot about Michigan. So Michigan Louisville was like the headliner game mm-hmm. for the big, big 10 ACC challenge. That's a lot of fun. What other game are you, uh, has caught your attention for this, for this, uh, so I bolded some, cha- yeah. What do you um, got? Duke at Michigan state, obviously. Um, because I don't know. I know both of those teams are good. I don't know if both of them are final four teams. And I think we'll learn something about them yeah. in December. I'm not sure if um, either of them are either. Notre Dame at Maryland. Can Maryland yeah. handle? Like, can Maryland just be handle Maryland? the hype? I guess. Yeah. Can yeah. they just handle what they what they're kind of been given? Right. Ohio State at North Carolina. I know. I like that one. I I like Chris Holtman a lot. Um, 
there was a four, you know, Michael Lewis was an assistant coach at Nebraska last year, and, and Lewis was with Chris Holtman at Butler. And occasionally we would talk about Holtman because, you know, he was kind of a big deal at, at Ohio State. And um, everything that Michael Lewis has told me about Chris Holtman, it was just impressive. Like, yeah. he's, he does it the right way. He's, he, he's a great coach, in-game coach. Um, and so I think Ohio State in the next two or three years is going to become – I mean, DJ Carlson's also, like, one of the best freshmen in the country. He can take over a game. Um, you, to go at North Carolina, to win at North Carolina is tough anyway. North Carolina is in an interesting spot, too, where you know they, they've dropped some games that you wouldn't necessarily expect North Carolina to drop. Um, Michigan. But, yeah, I mean, just, just early. Like, it. you would expect yeah. where, where Michigan is with a new coach in North Carolina is that yeah. North Carolina would win. Um, so I'm really curious about that game. Um, mostly because I'd love to see Ohio State go in there and win. Just, just to kind of say, just that that could be a moment for Chris Holtman to be like, "I'm we're for real. Like we're not going to be kind of okay this year. Like we're going to be right. actually really good." You mentioned Ohio State support guard DJ Carton. He's a like a Bettendorf, Iowa kid, I think, mm-hmm. or the Quad Cities, I mm-hmm. think, is where he's from. And uh, man, he's been an an incredibly impressive freshman. This whole freshman class across college basketball, um, there's just there's a lot of standouts. There across are across the country. There are, and so that'll be him against Cole Anthony, North mm-hmm. Carolina. That's going to be which is great because whenever you you know that the class isn't that great, when you have, I call them them a push notification guy. So we've had them in the last two years. One was Trey Young. Every time he scored more than twenty points, I got a push notification on my phone that said, "Hey, Trey Young had got yeah. twenty points against Baylor," and it's like I didn't need that. That was a waste of space on my phone. And then last year was Zion. Or every hey Zion dunked, it was a it was a cool dunk. One of right. one of his fifteen dunks in the game, cool dunk Zion. Here's your and it was one of those things where like okay you're gonna forget the rest of the freshman class because you have those dominant figures. Right. We don't have a push notification it guy anymore. Like it. No. I've not gotten a push yeah. notification about okay, a freshman yet. Is, right. So I don't think we've got one. So we've got all these nice ones from Kentucky and Duke and North Carolina. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, K, K, even KU, we did, the KU hasn't really. I mean, they've got some good freshmen, but not a push notification guy. Right. Um. And I like that. I like when it's spread out evenly. Yeah. Florida State and Indiana might be a good game. I mean, yeah. Florida State has beaten uh, Purdue, Florida. They lost to Pitt to start the year, but like that team, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like they always assemble a ton of athletes and make it miserable. But for Indiana, it's kind of like this is Indiana's chance to like. They haven't played anybody. They played nobody. They played nobody at all so far. So is, is Indiana for real? We'll find that out. Which might there. be good for Archie Miller to have played nobody so far. Maybe. Like this might be the happiest moment of that Archie Miller. <laughs> it's very possible. Because I don't know. I don't know how good they are. Yeah. Um, and then also Virginia and uh, Purdue because I'm curious if Virginia can score more than 50 points. Honestly, that game will be <laughs> disgusting. Do not watch it. I've I I am Purdue alum, so I've watched a lot of my Boilers, and those games have been. They're four and three. They've been knocked down, drag out, just brawls. Yeah, Purdue's struggling to find like go. He lost Carson Edwards, you know, like yeah. he's the epitome of go-to scorer in college basketball. So Purdue's finding, trying to find its identity offensively, and those games have just been rock fights. I feel like when yeah, I was gonna and say. So you like talk about Purdue, playing Virginia, yeah. Like if they get if they get to, if first team to fifty wins. Oh, for sure. Yeah, first just stop the game. Yeah. Like <laughs> honestly, all right, it's fifty-one to forty-eight. Virginia wins and everyone's like okay good because that was awful yeah. <laughs> like that this was and I, I the thing I love about Purdue is I I get this sense that if they don't have like if they don't have a Carson Edwards they're like all right we don't really know what we're doing so we're just gonna grab like we're falling off a cliff we're just gonna grab you and make sure that you also play horrible basketball too and we're just gonna tumble down this that's mountain that's what it seemed like I it's don't know. fantastic maybe that's 
the way VCU and Florida State wanted to go. But I don't know. For, uh, Purdue, now, to be fair to Matt Painter and Purdue, they did start slow last year and then found a groove. Yes, they did. As the season mm-hmm. went on. So perhaps it's this team, you know, with a younger core, will we'll find its footing. But one thing I wanted to mention before we uh, go, I forgot to, to mention off the top, but Creighton hired an assistant. That's right. <laughs> That's right. We should probably talk about that. Right. Uh, we we have we before after our last podcast and between this one and that time period mm-hmm. what, whatever it was 10 days uh the jays hired an assistant off san diego staff terrence wrencher so preston murphy resigned on um friday before thanksgiving so mm-hmm. i don't have a calendar up whatever date that that was and then uh four days later the jays announced that they had ten at a new assistant and coach mcdermott mentioned after Preston Murphy's resignation that he was going to reach out to some candidates that he'd already sort of interacted with over the summer who had expressed interest in the job. It should it come open. Yeah. So he reached back out to those and those individuals. And obviously uh, Terrence Venture was high on his list because that happened very fast in terms of those two yeah. coming to an agreement and Terrence Venture coming on board because now he's, a part of the program mm-hmm. he joined the jays on wednesday uh, hiring announced tuesday joined the jays on wednesday was wow. on the bench thursday wow and obviously is now part of the staff so um it it's like it kind of closes a chapter to a certain sense uh, to a certain sense in a certain sense because creighton had been waiting um from it, it was waiting on word from the ncaa in terms of um the enforcement staff interpretation of what happened as part of the FBI probe and Preston Murphy's role in it. The, the, the details were always kind of, they weren't as clear cut as maybe some other schools or some other assistants that were involved in it. Um, you know, the government alleged that Preston Murphy accepted a $6,000 bribe, but then the defense during trial was like, well, it wasn't a bribe. We were saying that we were, this was kind of a, uh, a, a deal that we had worked up with Preston and, mm-hmm. and he gave the money back to, uh, Christian Dawkins, the agent. And so it, it was, uh, you know, other assistant coaches who took money admitted in court that they took a bribe and they obviously were convicted of, of a bribery charge. And so it, there's a little bit more, um, nuance, I guess with, with Preston Murphy and some details that because he wasn't a central figure in the case, you know, a lot of the details involving him weren't revealed during the course of, of court proceedings. But um, so so he but he was suspended and he was been suspended for eight months. And the Jays have operated with two full time assistants. They promoted their assistant to the head coach, Steve Murfeld, to uh, uh, to take on some more administrative duties during that during that stretch. Um, but it, I think they made the decision that it was time to 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 get a new did it surprise assistant. you that he resigned? It did actually, yeah. because there hadn't been any movement, sure. and I thought that you know we would see if, see if something Murphy, first, and then right, yeah. And so maybe something has happened behind the scenes mm-hmm. that hasn't been made public yet. Creighton's a private university; it doesn't necessarily have to uh, declare uh, with great fanfare that it has interacted with the NCAA. Oklahoma State, when it got its notice of allegations, released it publicly because eventually it's going to have to release that anyway. NC State did the same thing. It released it publicly the moment it got it in July. Um, those are public institutions that, um, you know, they have to present the, the documents if uh, if they get them. Creighton's not like that. So, yeah. it you know, it's possible that, that things are happening behind the scenes that we don't know about. The, the sense that I get is that it's still 
an ongoing process and and uh we won't know what the uh what the end result is for for, for many months mm-hmm. so what do they get with this um with this new guy well i think a couple things that coach mcdermott mentioned that um he was really encouraged about in terms of adding uh terrence rancher by the way he's the all-time leading scorer at texas Mm-hmm. A native of the Bronx, mm-hmm. and he's he's had multiple stops over the last like seven, eight years in his coaching career. So I think the idea of of having uh, recruiting ties in different parts of the country was appealing to Coach McDermott. Um, his relationship with players, since he's a guy who has done it before, mm-hmm. um, he played for ten years in Europe and in the CBA, I think. So um, he he's kind of gotten where they've want where they want to go yeah like the, he's walked that same path and i think his ability to kind of interact with guys i think is something that coach mcdermott really wanted to so they got him yep and uh he's on the bench now right it, again it, it a little bit of a surprise to see it all kind of transpire so quickly and uh at, given the timing of the year uh timing in the year you thought maybe this would be something that creighton would have wanted taken care of before the year or maybe even once Preston murphy decided to resign that the Jays might wait until the traditional sort of coaching carousel season, which is April. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the Jays, uh, well, Coach McDermott used the word normality, wanted to have a feel of, of things going back to normal for his players. I think the Jays also have a really important recruiting class in 2021 uh, because that's the class that replaces Mitch Ballack, Tyshawn Alexander, Denzel Mahoney, Damian Jefferson. Like, they need to get started on that group or that that class right away so um that was a piece i'm sure that played into the decision to move sure. quickly yeah, yeah so two two quick newsworthy nebraska things before because because we won't talk about this on thursday i'm sure um nebraska did get a commitment in the 2021 class you just reminded me um don't know how to pronounce his name i'm not gonna try i'm gonna learn and then tell you but <laughs> he's, he's a japanese shoot, player right? yeah he's yeah. from japan uh but he's currently at a uh, college in ranger texas ranger college uh it was jujuko um, 2021 kid who Matt Abdelmassi has been recruiting for a while, knows his family pretty well. Um, this kid's a, a three-point specialist. He's shooting you know, 50% from three currently in, in JUCO, um, which for some context, Gervais Green was like a 45% three-point shooter in, in JUCO, and obviously that's not quite transcended over, but uh, you know, from what we've heard from this kid, he's one of the better shooters that that you can find in junior college, um, and would add to the 2021 class. Um, he announced on the morning of Thanksgiving, which was a fun thing for everybody to do. Um, but important. But you're because, still in Japan, man. They don't celebrate yeah, Thanksgiving. Right, yeah, right. But but you know, not their it, holiday. Right. But uh, you know, my take of us is it's kind of one of those things where I think this is the trend that we're going to see where. You know, you get Mate Kavas, who's a 40% three-point shooter at Seattle University. Um, now you get this 2021 recruit who is a, you know, over 50% three-point shooter. And in JUCO, Nebraska, I think, will often, under Fred Hoiberg, bring in some unknown guy that just has bonkers three-point percentage stats at a lower level and try and bring him up. I think that because those guys are generally not recruited. Uh, as, as tough because, you know, I, think, I don't think a lot of people believe um, – in, in kind of just word kind of we're gonna look at this one stat yeah right but, because I don't know if there's any proven data that says if you're a good three-point shooter at a lower level then you'll be right. a good three-point shooter at a higher level like but, I don't know if that's yeah been proven out but I think it's I think it's one of those things where you know to make like a football analogy you know if when Mario Verduzco goes and recruits quarterbacks he doesn't really look at completion percentage he looks at like their stroke okay what can I work with this mm. like is this 
fixable like these things like with Luke McCaffrey that's basically what you know everybody wanted him as a wide receiver but he went and he saw his stroke he was like I can deal with that he's a crazy athlete let's do it I think it's pretty similar with Fred Hoiberg where it's like if you can shoot you can shoot you know Fred Fred knows shooting better than almost anybody in college basketball you know he's a guy who when he got to the NBA he just hung out with Reggie Miller for a summer and Reggie Miller is one of the best three-point shooters in the in the world Fred led the NBA in three-point shooting for for one season so it's one of those things where um, they get him, got him locked down for 2021. They need that guy. It's good. It's a really important recruiting class, um, and they have him. Number two, Shamil Stevenson is officially not eligible. Uh, they submitted the waiver. It got denied. They appealed. It got denied. They then had a last-minute conference call from the Cayman Islands and for one last like verbal appeal, and that also got denied. So he will have two years to play at the beginning of next year. So he will be eligible next year they get him for two years um they were not allowed to start the process of filing the paperwork for the media eligibility until he was a full-time student which didn't begin until august so that's when they began the paperwork it was officially filed in october because it takes some time you got to get your p's and q's and now he's official so it's one of those things where i think had they done something differently he would have been able to play for a year and a half starting at the beginning of this year but I think from Nebraska's perspective, it's far more important that he plays for two full years and not just, you know, half a year because he basically, you know, he basically loses a year uh, if, if you do that because he only played in four games his sophomore year. Um, so I think it was important that they got two years. And also next year so much more important than this year that you get him coming off. I mean, it's basically the same setup that they had with Iowa State where they had three transfers coming in the second season and they kind of took off so i think that's kind of what they're hoping so it's too bad for shamil because he's kind of been hung out to dry um by ncaa for a while now but they finally got a decision he will not play which means nebraska is going to have to deal with what they got to deal with yeah yeah it's i i i go back and forth on whether or not it's a good thing that players sit out a year i mean for him he sat out a long time so it's yeah. almost like you hope you wish that if you sit out a year even if it's half at one school and half at another because you're a coach left that you'd be able to become eligible yeah but then again as you said, um, for the team, for the program, it was never really about this year. For yeah. for Shamil, for Shamil, I, I'd imagine he wanted to play. You want to play, play, yeah? As soon as possible. The, the, so that's the, the, the general thing that I think coaches believe, and I kind of believe too, is you should be able to transfer and play no matter like once. You can transfer like transfer from Nevada to Nebraska. You can be immediately eligible to play, mm. but if you transfer again, you have to sit out a year. So for Shamil's case, I mean that would actually. You know, mean he that he'd have to sit out. That's that's your but that, that's, that's your proposal thing. for the transfer. That's my proposal. Yeah, that you can transfer once and play immediately. Okay. But if you transfer again, you have to sit out. All right. Because that way you can take the waiver thing out of it. Because it's a very clear black and white. Right. You know. Yeah, it's interesting. There's been a lot of complaints about the waiver process. A lot. Um. From from from, from a lot of people. From coaches, but I don't get the sense that coaches are 100 percent on board with the idea of players being immediately eligible. Eligible. Yeah. So what do you want? Like if the coaches don't want them to be immediate eligible, but they are mad that these waivers aren't coming to get their their player immediate. Like, right, they're mad. They're mad. They're mad that people aren't you know that people can get eligible until their guy gets eligible, yeah. and then they're like, you know what, this rules kind of rocks. <laughs> right. Like I'm cool with this. With it. Yeah. Uh, all right, Chris, we uh, we had a lot to cover. We've done that. Yeah. And we will be back in a couple days yeah. to talk more specifically about Nebraska and Creighton. Full breakdown. Big time game coming up. We'll see if both teams can handle 
the challenges that lie ahead of them before that. And we will try to handle <laughs> our challenges. Exactly. That are presented by life. <laughs> uh, if they played today, though, who would win? Nebraska Creighton? Uh, Creighton by like nine. I got Creighton it's, it's by. It's kind of going, it's going down. Oh, then uh, I'm going up a little bit after tech. So that's true. Creighton by 12. We'll be back in a couple days. 